Well, good morning to everybody here and online. Uh, those of you, I, I'm not sure if you, Corey, did you tell them about Keith? Okay, so I'm not Keith Shorter. <laughs> um, and, uh, but Keith came, to, uh, came down with being tested for COVID positive yesterday. So uh, I think he's doing fine, but just remember him as he recovers from that. Um, so uh, here I am. I'm Brad Barden, and good, good to be here with you today. Uh, but this is a special day of Mother's Day and a celebration of, of what the love of a mother is and the difference a love of a mom can make in a life. It is similar in many ways, and I think God oftentimes uses family to show his love in an in a earthly way, uh, to at least give us a glimpse of what can be even more. And that's what I want us to talk about today. We've talked about this idea of tasting and seeing as sort of the series that we're doing, to, talking about taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and I want you to think back. How many of y'all remember the first time you tasted a sweet? Let's, let's raise your hand. Anybody remember the first time? No, you don't. <laughs> you were probably nine months old. You know what had happened. You've been eating this yucky baby food that you didn't know was yucky, those green beans all mashed up, that squash and that ooh, turkey junk, whatever that was. And you were eating that because you didn't know any better. And then one day, somebody was sitting there eating ice cream, and they said, hmm, they're old enough now. We'll let them taste it. And you don't remember it, but your life changed that moment. Because you realize, this stuff's good. You mean food's supposed to taste good? And you went, nom, 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 nom. And you probably learned to say more right at that moment. There are many things in life that we see for the first time, that we experience for the first time. We say, man, that was great. But there are other things in life that have to develop over time for us to understand how much we appreciate it, how much we care for it, how much it means to us. I'll give you an example for me is I had no idea that I loved to go hiking until I was in my 30s. had no clue. It wasn't until I moved here and became a pastor at First Baptist Williamston that I had any understanding that you could go hiking because it was just an hour away. Hey, get away. I love it. Love to do it. And every, every time I go, oh, this is refreshing. This is great. And it's something that developed over time. Well, today I want us to look at a, a, a life of someone we see in the Bible who it takes time to understand who God is in his life, how Jesus wants to change his life. And we see it in the life of Peter. Peter, if you don't know, is one of the disciples of who Jesus is. He follows him around for three years. And so I want to just take a real brief look at some of those moments and times of Jesus and Peter's interaction, those interactions they had, that got Peter to see that God was something more than he ever dreamed of, that he thought of, that he tasted the best of anything that he will ever experience. But it took time. And the truth of the matter is it takes time for us to understand who God is. In fact, it is a lifelong journey to understand the goodness of God. 
It is something that we continue to learn even after we become a Christian. And that, I think, defines Peter and his experience with God as well. We're actually going to pick up the story Keith looked at uh, Sunday night in Luke 5. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to it. We'll be looking at Luke 5. Luke's one of the Gospels. And in Luke 5, Jesus has just started making a name for himself. People say, man, he talks different than everybody else in terms of this religious stuff and, and who God is and the difference that God makes in your life. He's different than we've ever heard. The Bible says he taught as one who had authority. In other words, he was the first source, not just some secondary person, not just somebody preaching about it like I am today. But he was the source is what you sort of get from that understanding that that people were gathering. So people wanted to hear him. And so we pick up in Luke 5, uh, verse 1, that one day it says Jesus was standing by the lake of Gethsemane. And and by the way, that's just another term for the the Sea of Galilee. Depending on which region you were, you called it something different. And here it's called this. But most people, we're used to the sort of Sea of Galilee. But there was a crowd around him, and they were listening to the word of God. And again, it was like this was new and fresh to them, the way that Jesus was teaching. So people started gathering. It says, um, he saw saw at the water's edge two boats left there by a fisherman who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out from shore a little, a little from shore. Now, why would he do that? Any of you who know speaking, having people too close to you, what happens? It muffles the sound. You can't hear as far. We don't worry about that that much anymore because we got mics and we can just blare at you and blast at you if we want to. But back then, there were no mics. So you tried to amplify. Jesus, I think, had a very strong voice, is my personal opinion. Probably sort of like mine. I I can yell. But Jesus had a strong voice. But even for people to hear him better, if he pulled out a little bit from the crowd, the water would also help make the sound go further. And so he asked for that to happen. And so they, they did it. And uh, he sat down and taught and the, the people from the boat. Then verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, before we go a little bit further, Peter, who is called Simon here, and Jesus have already met. We know in John they had met, that they'd been introduced uh, by Andrew, Peter's brother, and just, there's... So we don't know how many times, how familiar they were with each other, but they had at least met and and had a a conversation, and and there was something going on already in that relationship. So Peter naturally would say, okay, it's okay, sure, I'll, I'll let you use my boat to speak. But then he said, Jesus said, put out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Now, did Jesus really understand what he was asking Simon to do? Well, Simon says politely, and he starts out, Master, which means, okay, I know you know more than me, Master, but we've worked hard all night, and we had not caught anything. 
So we, we fished all last night. You remember, I'm, I'm the professional fisher here. You're, you're a great speaker, good man. But I'm the professional f- fisherman here. And we didn't catch anything last night. Now you're asking me to go in the middle of the day to catch something? Well, that doesn't happen either, okay? But he doesn't say all that, but he's thinking it, right? He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will do, I will let down my nets. And I think he's probably saying, okay, how quick can I do this? So I can go in, go out, do what he tells me to do, and go back in, and I'm satisfied. I'm sure that's running through his mind. So when they had done so, it says in verse 8, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And they signaled their other partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So I just want you to picture it. This would be a hilarious moment if we had video. Peter's in his boat putting down the net. And you can tell he's tired. He's, he's you know, struggling. And then all of a sudden he feels something grab. And he starts yanking, and he starts looking around, and then harder and harder. And then he starts going, hey, come on, quick, more fish, there's fish, need more boats. How quickly his attitude had to change. How big a moment was that for Peter? We know it was a big moment because of this. It says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He knew Jesus taught as one who had authority. That's that religious stuff. He had that. But now he saw that this Jesus is not just a religious man. He controls fish. Blew his mind. And he says, and I want you to remember this because it's important to the rest of the story. His first reaction is what? Go away. I'm a sinful man. That's his first response as he first encounters Jesus and understands that maybe Jesus is more than a great teacher. And then it says, verse 9, For he and all his companions were astonished at the cash of fish they had taken, And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who also become disciples, uh, were Simon's partners. And then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So instead of catching fish, you're going to change the lives of people. That's a big statement. In other words, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Yes, you're a sinful man. But I'm going to use you. I'm going to let you be a difference maker. And as we know Peter, as we get to know him, man, that must have made him feel good. Man, I'm going to be used by God. This is going to be good. And so they did the drastic measure of they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything and followed him. Andrew, Peter, James, and John left their boats. Now, their family, I'm sure, kept the business up, okay? But they left to follow Jesus, not knowing what that meant. But he had made that much of an impact that they had to. They desired to. 
But for the next three years, they followed Jesus around. They see many miracles. They actually are given some power to be able to do miracles themselves, to bring healing to some people's lives. They hear him teach not only the people, but them as, as a group of disciples, teaching them what life is about. They see him healing, teaching, and living his life for three years. Man, wouldn't you want to have been there? They had a front row seat. But in the midst of that front row seat, we read stories of what Peter had happened to him. We're not going to go to all of them, but there's the time where Jesus is walking on the water, if you remember. Peter's in the boat with the other disciples, and what does Peter say he wants to do? I want to go out there too, guy. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter's out there and he's walking, and then what does he do? Oh, there are waves around me? I'm not supposed to be doing this? And what happens? Bloom. And what does Jesus tell him? You have so little faith. One of those moments that Peter has to learn from, remember, and he will. There was a time that Jesus asked them, who do the people say that I am? And some said, you're John the Baptist return, this, that, and the other. And then he asked the disciples. He turns to them and says, well, who do you say I am? And you remember, Peter's the one, as Peter always was, he's going to be the first one to speak. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus basically said, you're right. But he warned them, if you remember, not to tell anyone. And then he told them that the Messiah was going to suffer. And die. And Peter said, no way. And you remember what Jesus said to him next? Get behind me, Satan. Because you see, Peter's definition of the Messiah and Jesus' definition of Messiah were two totally different things. Peter, Peter looked at who this Messiah for the Jewish people was going to be with somebody who's going to throw out the occupying force of, of Rome. Sort of like if somebody were to come into Ukraine and say, hey, I'm going to throw these bums out, the Russians. It's that idea that the Jewish people would have had about Rome. They've got to get out of here. We've got to get rid of them. And the Jewish people saw the Messiah as the one who was going to get rid of the occupying force. And they were going to establish a government, and it was going to be great, the way it was in the time of David. That was their view. But Jesus' view was totally different than that. And it takes a long time for Jesus' view to fully come into to the understanding of the disciples. So you have those moments. There are other times and places that Peter is, does amazing things in interaction with Jesus. And I encourage you, great, in this day and time, you can actually Google Peter or you can look in your Bible app and look at all the times Jesus interacts with Peter. It's fascinating to see how that relationship grows over that three-year period of time. It's a great Bible study. But there, there are many instances where Peter and, and Jesus interact, and then we come to Jesus' final week, that he's here on earth in terms of uh, before he dies on the cross. And you, there are a couple of things that go on with that. If you remember in John, we read that Jesus took on the, the he, he took off his clothing and wore the what uh, a servant would wear 
and wash the disciples' feet. You remember what Peter said to that? You're not washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And then Jesus said, look, if I don't wash your feet, you don't understand who I am. Is basically what he said. And, you, and then Peter says, well, don't just wash my feet. Wash my whole body because Peter's going to go over the board every time. And then you have the Lord's Supper where Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Peter looks at that and, and I'm sure takes it but doesn't fully understand what is he talking about. Again, this Messiah image that Jesus is talking about does not relate to what Peter thinks this Messiah is going to be. And we pick up, the next place I want us to pick up and look at Scripture is in Luke 22. Luke 22, we're going to be looking at verse 31. Jesus has just gone through doing the Lord's Supper and saying that he wasn't going to be with them long. And you know what they start doing? They start asking, who's the greatest of us disciples? In other words, they were saying, if he's not going to be here, who's taking over? And they have that argument. That had to disappoint Jesus tremendously. When they talk about who's the greatest of them instead of who's the least. After Jesus has done all he did that night, they didn't get it. And all of them stand up and say, well, I should be because this, that, the other. And then Jesus turns to Simon Peter and in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, this is what he says to him. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Anybody know what that means? take a grain of wheat and you start doing this and what are you doing you're destroying that wheat all you will be left with is the grain basically what Jesus is saying is Satan has asked to destroy you he wants to just annihilate you but notice what Jesus says but I prayed for you I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. In other words, that you'll stand up to the test that you're getting ready to face. And when you have come back, in other words, Jesus is not only praying for him to stand up to the test, but he says, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Go back to doing what you were called to do from the beginning. That word... That, that Jesus said to it had to resonate in Peter and say, well, what's going on? What, what do you mean? And there's a conversation that goes on. And, and notice what he says, and Peter says this in verse 33. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. In other words, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm not going to leave you. In Matthew 26, we read this same part of the story this way it says Jesus, uh, Peter replied even if I'll fall away on account of you I never will these other guys they may leave you but not me because I have a high opinion of myself and he didn't say that but that's what he was thinking I'm better than them 
And Peter is saying, I'm going to show you, you don't know what you're talking about. Sort of like about those fish, and we know where that went. So, Jesus looked at him and said in, in Matthew 26, 34, Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times that you ever knew me. And Peter said, no, I'll show you. So, Jesus is arrested. And sure enough, Peter's going to show that he means what he says. What is what does Peter do when Jesus is arrested? He's got a sword. And he's going to use it. Whack. He must not be a great shot because he got the guy's ear. He didn't get the guy's head. But he showed Jesus, I'll show you. I'm willing to die for you. And I think probably Peter looked at that moment and everybody was sort of caught back by what went on and Peter was looking and then Jesus said the exact wrong words that Peter was not expecting to hear we read this at John 18 verse 10 is where this starts in John 18 it says this then Simon Peter who had a sword drew it struck the high priest's servant cutting off his right ear and Jesus commanded Peter put away put your sword away shall I not drink from the cup my father has given me and when Peter heard those words, what? I just showed you that I'm going to stand for you and you're telling me to put away my sword. Jesus, I've got this figured out is what Peter's saying. I may die, but I'm going to show you. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the right way. Your way is not the right way, Peter. And truth of the matter is, don't we all have that problem from time to time? Folks, the Bible is full of people who think, hey, God, I've got this, I know what you want to do, and I'm going to do it for you. And the minute you do that, you're going down the wrong path a lot of times. Because you're not waiting on God. You got it figured out for yourself. The Bible's full of it, and quite frankly, my life is full of it too, of times that I've done that. So God... I, I know what you want to do. I'll, I'll take care of it. Instead of asking for his help and guidance. This is one of those times, crisis time for Peter as he goes through this. So if you know the story, Jesus heals the man's ear so there's not a big fight that goes on. And Jesus is arrested and he's taken to the high priest. And we, we pick up the story from there in Luke 22 Verses 54 and following, Luke twenty-two, fifty-four and following, it says, Then seizing him, that's the people coming to arrest him, they seized Jesus, and they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Why did he do that? Because he was once again going to follow through with what he said. Others may leave you, but I'm going to be there for you. So he falls at a distance, says, but when they had kindled a fire, now the word fire here is an important word. In English, it's translated fire. In the Greek, it is a coal fire. There are only two places in the Bible in, in the New Testament that the word coal fire is mentioned. It's here 
and one other place we're going to look at a little bit later. But both are very significant to remember. The type of fire described is a coal fire. It is a type of fire that rich people had because you had coal. Most people didn't have coal. High priest had coal because he was rich. So in his courtyard, he was going to have a coal fire. It lasted longer. So Peter, as we find out, gets in with another guy into, we read in another gospel that he gets in because somebody knows somebody that they get into the courtyard. And that's, that's where we pick up the story. There's, there's this fire there in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together. Peter sat down with them, and then a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. You know what she did. She, she looked. It wasn't just a one look. It was she got closer and closer where she could see his face because it's nighttime. The only light is is from the coal fire. You're one, you, this man was with him. And what does he do? He denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I'm not. A little more emphatic this time, he replied. And then notice the next words that sometimes we read over when we read this. How long between this and the next time? About an hour. Okay, he remembers Jesus' words, I've denied you three times, right? How many times has he already done it? Twice. He's got an hour that he's sitting there thinking about, man, I have done wrong. But I'm going to show Jesus it ain't going to be three. I'm sure that's run through his mind. And then somebody comes up and says, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Now, how do they know he was a Galilean? Well, he talked like this. He had an accent. People of Galilee had an accent. They were looked down on because they were country. He was one of them. I remember one time I was in uh, San Francisco with a, a group of senior adults and went and up to Colt Tower by myself that night and was looking around. Beautiful way to see San Francisco is from Colt Tower at night. But anyway, and I, I was up there and, and these three or four girls came up and asked me a question. And I started to answer them and they all started laughing at me. I didn't say anything funny. I didn't think. I said, why are y'all laughing at me? He said, we don't mean to. It's just your accent. We weren't used to it. We weren't expecting it. I don't think I have an accent. Do y'all? I do. <laughs> well, he was known by his accent. Third time, Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You ever done that to God? Where it gets so bad that you deny that he even exists? Sometimes it might be in a conversation with somebody. Sometimes it might be in an action that you do. But you're denying that God even exists. That you have a relationship with him. And that's exactly where Peter was. Not once, not twice, but three times. And this, this had to hurt 
It says, and just as he's speaking, the rooster crowed. And then you remember Peter had to look where Jesus was being tried and look what happens. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That big at that moment? I'm unworthy. And Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he cried bitterly. Folks, for the next several days, until we read the, the last conversation we're going to have with Jesus, don't you think every time a rooster crows in the morning, it just cut him? He was living in a time and place where there were roosters all over the place. So it wasn't just one. It was five, six, seven. It was all day long. Roosters crowing. And every time, cut, cut, cut. He was destroyed. He was hurting. We know that there are two times that Jesus appears to the disciples after he goes through his crucifixion and he's raised from the dead. We know that one of the disciples that goes to see if the body is in the tomb is who? Peter. Because he doesn't want it to be there. He doesn't understand fully what's going on, but he wants him resurrected. And we know there were two times that Jesus appeared to the disciples and they celebrated. No question that Peter celebrated with them because he would have been glad. He would have celebrated too. But there had to be in his mind what I said and what I did are two different things. What am I supposed to do? had to be there and so that's where we pick up the story the last part of the story that is important because in the story that we find in John 21 I invite you to turn to it John 21 Jesus has been resurrected the disciples have gone back home they are waiting for instructions literally from Jesus what do we do next and so they naturally do what they're going to do. Peter's a fisherman. What's Peter going to do? He's going to fish. He's waiting. And it says uh, this in, in John 21. It says, After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them, because that's what he did. And they, said, and they all said, well, go with you. So they went out, and they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, anybody remember another time where they didn't catch anything? The time that Jesus said that Peter would be a fisherman of men? That story we started with? Peter learned for the first time that day that Jesus was in control of a lot. That night, they catch nothing that we read of here in John. 
Maybe it clicked in there, maybe it didn't yet, but it will sooner or later, guarantee you, as the rest of the story goes on. So they caught nothing. Then verse 4 says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, they very well may have thought, okay, he's seeing better than we are. There's some activity over there on the right side of the boat. May not have thought a whole lot about it at that moment. So they did it. And then it says, when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of such a large number of fish. Okay. I believe in coincidences, but this is not a coincidence, is it? Goes back to the first time that Peter committed to Jesus. Didn't catch anything that night. He did what Jesus taught him to do, and he caught a bunch of fish. Don't you think that memory comes flooding in about that moment? It especially does when the next thing happens. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we think is probably John, said to Peter, It's the Lord! And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. Where he taken off, he was wearing his bathing suit, so to speak, if you want to think of it that way. And jumped into the water. All right, let's stop for a minute. What did, Jesus, what did Peter do the first time this happened? What were Peter's words? What did he do when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus and he saw the catch of fish? What were Peter's first words? Go away. What is his response this time? He's going to go to him. Why? Folks, because of three years. He understood Jesus was there to help, even though he was still a sinful man. It wasn't about running away from God. I need you. That's the story. He takes off. He doesn't wait for the boat. It's his boat, folks. And he's saying, y'all deal with it. I'm getting there. And he gets to shore as quick as he can. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, and they were not far from the shore. About 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire. Now guess what kind of fire it was? A fire of burning coals. The same type of fire that was there at the courtyard the night that Jesus betrayed him. Memory, boom, 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 going on all over the place for Peter right now. Flooding him. How do I take this in? What do I do with this? Well, it isn't over yet. He says, Jesus says to him, bring me some fish that you have, that you've just caught. So, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come, said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Does that remind you of something Peter might remember? Where he takes bread and fish and multiplies it for many to eat all these memories God is throwing on Peter 
at this moment. And that says, this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then as we read in, in 15, it says, when they had finished eating, came the moment. The confrontation. The moment, I think, that Peter had wanted to have, but also dreaded all at the same time. The conversation with Jesus about what he had done wrong. You ever been there? Sure you have in your life. Maybe with a spouse, a brother, a sister, a mom, or a dad, a daughter, or a son. Where you know you've got to have a conversation and somebody's got to start it. To get the air cleared out. To go further. This is that moment. Peter had known he needed to get there. And guess who's the one that starts it? It's Jesus. And so he pulls him aside and and he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now what are the these? A lot of people speculate what the these are. It may be the stuff that he's surrounded by that's his living, the fish and the fishing that he does. A lot of people think it's the other disciples because Peter made that claim, right? We don't really know what the these is, but Peter did. Do you love me more than these? And in that moment, Peter's mind had just taken in all this information that had happened over the last three years. And it had to be there when the first time that we we know that Jesus met Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, you will now be called Cephas, which means rock, means Peter. Jesus renames Peter. The name Rock. He he had to remember that conversation. And of course, he had to remember the time when he said, Everybody else may fall away, but you can count on me. All those things had to be thrown through his mind. And Peter answers, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Now, if you're Peter, what are you thinking? Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. He didn't accept my first answer. He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Okay. Why three times? The denials. That's in the equation, folks. It has to be dealt with. And this is the way that Jesus is doing He's making Peter search and realize, God, you are the best. Jesus, you are the way. Not me. Not what I think. Not what I believe. It's your way, not mine. And notice how he answers him. Lord, you know all things. That was a big statement for Peter, okay? (laughs) God, you're in control. Jesus, you're in control of my life. You know me. You know I love you. And how does it say he declares it? From his heart. It wasn't words. 
It was who he was. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You remember what Jesus asked Peter to do when he first met him? He says, you will not be a fisher of fish, but what? A men. Who are the sheep? Is Jesus talking about sheep that go by? No. He's talking about human beings. The role I called you to at the beginning, yeah, you blew it, Peter. But guess what? That's why I died on the cross. That's why I love you. Because in spite of your failure, you love me. And you understand your sin. And I can forgive that. And I can deal with that. And that relationship was restored. To the point where Jesus said, What I called you to at the beginning is what I call you to now, even though you hurt and you failed. That's the power of God over sin in our life. Folks, you can be the worst person that ever lived and still have the power of God change you to make you different. You can't do it yourself. I can't do it myself, but Jesus can. And that's the lesson Peter had to learn. It wasn't about Peter pleasing God. That wasn't the first step. The first step was Peter recognizing I'm a sinful person, but the good news is Jesus forgives me and he's given me something to do. He tastes and sees that the Lord is good. Not just once, but this conversation echoes through those three years. And causes him to realize all those good times, all the things that Jesus said, all the forgiveness that Jesus offered, and that he's offering him once more. And he knows he serves the living God. That's what it's about. That's what we're called to know, to taste and see. Peter did it. How about you? Have you done that? Maybe you're someone for the first time who's recognizing what God offers through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his forgiveness of sins that is there for any who will accept it. Or you might be someone who's been a believer for years and you find yourself now in a place where you failed him. Utterly failed him. And you need forgiveness. And you need to have a conversation with God. The good news is, God's going to listen to both conversations. If it's your first time saying, I am a sinner, or if it's, God, I failed you again, please forgive me. God's there to say, I care for you and I love you. Taste and see. I'm good. I'm the best thing you can ever have. You know, as we look at Mother's Day, I can't help but think in this story If you were to put this story in a role model of family, who would it be? It's mom. Mom does it time and time again. Will forgive when hurt. Because she loves. And an ideal mom will forgive and forgive and leave the door open even when we rebel. There's always the opportunity to restore the relationship.
That's precious. And it is a role model on earth that gives us a little bit of the understanding for the role model of heaven, of who God is, and the love he offers. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us to focus upon how we, in our relationship with you, how it exists, what it is like right at this moment. Father, Peter had to go through that in this story that we read so many times. And so many times he found himself short, but you were there to say, just seek forgiveness, Peter. Just do it my way, and that, rest, that relationship can be restored. Father, I pray if there's somebody in this room that has never experienced that restoration of relationship with God, that they understand and, and can talk to someone about what it means for Jesus to come in their life to forgive their sins and to live with them. Father, if there's somebody in this room who's been a Christian a while but is hurt and and has done wrong and find themselves running away, I, I pray that this sermon can help them to stop and to think about the difference you do make in life and how you want that relationship restored with them. Father, thank you for giving us something to taste that isn't just a one-time thing, but is a taste that lasts through eternity. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.